Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Dr. Beatrice Rapkin. Dr. Rapkin is a general psychiatrist working with a variety of patients in her outpatient practice. While she specializes in medication management, she uses a multimodal approach with clients that draws upon psychotherapy, mindfulness, yoga psychology, and other integrative practices. Today, we delve into the question of what is holistic psychiatry? Dr. Rapkin talks about her unique treatment approach, discussing how she approaches each patient from a wellness model, focusing not only on the use of medication for maximizing an individual's quality of life, but many other integrative approaches. Welcome, Dr. Rapkin. So you are one of the newer members of our psychiatry team, and I'm so interested in talking to you today about something that you have a specialty in, which is holistic psychiatry. Thank you. It's nice to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Holistic care is something I feel very strongly about, and I'm excited to dive in. So what is holistic psychiatry? So holistic psychiatry to me is mental health care that incorporates the larger context of who you are as a person, your background, your story, your embodied self, your physical body, your lifestyle, basically mental health care that doesn't compartmentalize and focus on a pathology or disease or disordered aspect. Got it. So it seems like you would hope any psychiatrist would do that when you see them. Indeed. But unfortunately, the way our healthcare system is constructed, while wonderfully specialized, it also contributes to a lot of fragmentation of care. So folks these days are seeing a lot of different doctors for a lot of different reasons, and nobody's putting the person back together. So I think as mental health professionals, we really need to be active in being integrated from the start for our clients. I see. So how do you approach it then? So if you see a psychiatrist with a more holistic approach, where do you begin? For me, it begins by recalibrating how I think about visits to start with. So when I went through medical training, I was really asked to elicit a collection of symptoms from my clients, construct a diagnosis of some kind, and then think about how to address that pathology. So I had to carve away at that a little bit when being introduced to somebody and think the purpose of my visit is to find out a little bit about who they are as a person, what's going on in the context of their life. And then if there's issues to be addressed, go from there as sort of a secondary rather than primary goal. Okay. And so what sort of things do you focus on? I mean, as a psychiatrist, you focus on medication a lot of the time, but I'm wondering if you don't always prescribe just medication. I don't always prescribe medication. In fact, I think some of my clients that have done best and made the hugest strides in their life have not taken a single medication from me at all. I'm a huge believer in psychotherapy, in lifestyle changes or enhancement, in meditation and mindfulness. There's a lot of different routes to healing, and I don't like to get pigeonholed in just one. 
But I guess it also has to do when a client or patient comes in, they have an expectation of what they might get out of the appointment. Right. And that's crucially important to elicit and integrate because that really clues you into how they approach problem solving as an individual. And that's an important part of who they are. Hmm. So when you first start seeing somebody, you say, you know, I'm not only going to just focus on the medication piece. I guess the question is, what if someone says, but I already do all these other things and I just want the medication? That's fine too. I'm still going to learn about that person's life, see what these other practices look like for them, how they're serving them or not serving them. And if medication is the desired focus, absolutely, let's hit it. I just want people to know that that's not all that's out there. Because the fact of the matter is that a lot of people have internalized stigma about medication or don't want to try it for any number of reasons or have other medical concerns that require medication that they don't want to mix with a psychotropic medication. So it's more about offering a variety of options rather than closing off any individual one. Right. And I think that's probably the most helpful for the individual because it is not just about one thing that has to do with someone's recovery. It's a combination of so many different tools and modalities that you bring together to kind of then lead to the desired outcome or improvement. Right. Especially if in a mental health struggle, somebody's really feeling like they've lost control of their life. I think a really generous gift that we can give back to our clients is a little bit of agency and control. How do you want to heal? Which road do you want to go on? And let's walk that path together. Interesting. So how do you think about lasting impact in terms of different types of treatments? I often think of medication and it's very necessary in so many cases, but it also doesn't teach people the tools that they maybe need to move forward in life. If you think about this desire, maybe to not have to be on medication forever for certain disorders, right? Kind of in terms of the lasting impact and the longevity of effect with medication versus other types of treatments. Yeah. I mean, I hear what you're saying. If you think about any injury, there's the dressings that we put on it or the bandages so that the tissues can come together and heal properly. And they're they're very important because without it, maybe the tissues won't come together at all. So we can think of that as medication. They sometimes provide the necessary ground for healing But the healing work itself often happens on a different, more emotional, more spiritual plane. And that part medication doesn't address as effectively. Right. So it's really, in many cases, the combination of both that is the most complete type of treatment. Of course. And in our practice at Cal Psychiatry, we're really lucky to be working often on teams with wonderful therapists, with psychiatrists, sometimes with social work support. And I think that's really a lot more conducive to longitudinal healing and recovering. Mm-hmm. It might be helpful to talk about specific issues or specific disorders or diseases and about how you might conceptualize kind of a treatment plan moving forward for someone. So think, maybe think about something, maybe start with depression, right? So how do you conceptualize kind of the forms of treatments that are out there that maybe someone can incorporate into their journey? So for depression, I'll, I'll start with there's medication, there's antidepressants to help stabilize mood, to help with sleep, feelings of guilt, rumination. It really does work very, very well. 
What it doesn't get at is the other piece of how has depression affected your relationships, your day-to-day life? What's the road back from that looking like from you? That's where you can bring in sometimes psychotherapy to help enhance people's relationships, conceptions of self, how that's been altered by being in a state of depression. And then there's this third branch that I really love that doesn't deal with the you know black box of our thoughts and verbally named emotions of just engaging in healing acts with yourself. And that can be some of the most rewarding parts of treatment that can look like therapeutic dance, that can look like taking a walk and being with yourself, that can be meditation, that can be yoga and reconnecting with your physical body and treating it with intention and kindness. Those acts really translate to how you feel about yourself in a larger sense. And you don't have to sit and dwell in this kind of, let's talk about depression space, let's talk about everything that's going wrong. It's a more restorative kind of therapy and it can be really empowering. So thinking about specifically about depression, someone's not, maybe doesn't have a lot of energy to do those things that they know they used to gravitate towards. If you have someone who says, yeah, you know, it seems like I used to be into those things, but doesn't feel like something I'm interested in. How do you encourage them to then engage and do you? Is that something that you would push them to do? I mean, I would check in to see if that's a desire of there's at that given moment. And if it is, the session is a wonderful place to engage in some role play around that. Well, let's, I understand you don't have energy to do this outside and your day is too busy, but we have this time here in session together. That's yours. And what do you want to do with it? Let's try one of those things. Let's imagine one of those things. Let's sit for a few rounds of breath together and Mm -hmm. see how it feels. And if it feels bad, then that's an active self-study that we can explore as well. Got it. So you then in your session, bring someone through that that process. Mm -hmm. So it's not only just talking about medication (laughs) during your session. Or talking about, you know, what a person's too tired to do. People are investing a lot of time and resources in their mental health care. So try to be really intentional about how I use my time Mm -hmm. with my clients. And what about just anxiety disorders? What are some approaches and things that you think about in terms of the various treatments that are available to people? So again, there's similar, there's medications that work on a more longitudinal basis that will help, but it'll take time. It'll take sometimes weeks to months to get an effect. And then there's medications that will calm down the system right away, but they're also a way to, in a sense, avoid the distress of the feeling, right? So sometimes that doesn't quite align with the therapeutic goal, which is how do you tolerate these big feelings? How do you make them less scary? There's still great short-term tools, but I like to run a dual game where we can be using these tools, but also finding a way to hold these big feelings, these feelings of fear and the sense of hyperactivation in the system. And that's where I I really love meditation and yoga and body work because it can be nonverbal for the most part. You don't have to sit and just talk about how bad you feel, but it gives you 
tools to really help regulate your system and understand what you're feeling and maybe why, and also step away from shame or judgment surrounding that. So it sounds like I also, I know your background too, because I know you're into yoga and you're going through a teacher training. So it sounds like that is really something that you've really gravitated towards as a kind of a mental health treatment. Yes. And it's very interesting because I, in the past, actually had a very strong aversion to all mindfulness-based therapy. I was very pharmacologically driven in medical school. I liked science. I liked molecular mechanisms. It seemed like more intense and efficacious. And I thought, you know, what is all this other stuff? And then I found when I was going through my own medical problems, and then, you know, before I had my first child that I felt very panicked and out of control. And I didn't, I didn't want to turn to a medication. And so all of a sudden, these, <laughs> these other tools became much more appealing. I thought, wow, I'm a, I'm a pretty big hypocrite. I better explore this more. And it's become such an interest of mine. I've learned that yoga psychology is around 15,000 years old and holds many of these much newer Western psychotherapeutic concepts. It's a very powerful, systematic way of healing. And I'm so excited to be educating myself more so I can work more deeply with my clients surrounding this. Interesting. What about the other thing when I think of holistic psychiatry, I think of, so I think of mindfulness, yoga. I also think of nutrition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you circle that with a client? I think the way we eat, what we ingest can be a surrogate for how we treat ourselves and our personhood as a whole. And it's not so much about the specifics of, did you eat a bag of Cheetos? It's about what are you eating and why? Are you eating with intention? Are you eating to nourish yourself? Whether or not that's body or soul, you can be eating a wonderful meal that reminds you of you know your background, your heritage, and it doesn't matter if it's you know, nutritious in the classic sense, but that's something that you consume for joy and nourishment of the spirit. Is it a food that makes you feel strong, that makes your body feel good? Or is nutrition or lack thereof a form of self-punishment or self-abuse? Is it a way that you're getting away from yourself? I think there's a lot of symbolism in our nutrition so it's not so much that you go through what someone's eating. And- no. Is it spinach? Is it kale? That's less important. There is a lot of benefit to be had from eating real food, unprocessed food. There's science surrounding omega-3 is and the impact on the brain, folate-rich foods, etc. But I think nutrition in a larger sense is much more powerful than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's the meaning behind it and what is bringing joy and meaning to someone's life. And is it helpful or is it harmful to your moving forward and mental well-being? Oh, I like that because it gives a lot of flexibility, right? Right. It's a window into the relationship with the body as well. Interesting. So meditation, yoga, nutrition, exercise in general. I mean, what other things do you think about? I like to think about a person's cultural heritage 
macro and micro in the way I approach that individual personally. What is that person's conception of, I hesitate to use the word disease processors or whatever's going on with them. How does it fit into that person's background? What are the feelings around that? What's the relationship between the person's cultural container and the disruption that they're going through? If we ignore that, I think we take away a lot of, honestly, the issues surrounding mental health treatment, but also some of the routes to recovery, right? So what's healing in your background, in in your family? What are conduits to joy and spiritual peace for you as a person, like in your community, in your culture, et cetera? Yeah. You know, as you're talking about that, I I think we were talking about all these other things of things that you can do, right? What are you doing that is kind of enhancing or detracting from your just basic quality of life? But this is a little bit more conceptualized as kind of how does your background then shape your current experience? Right. Exactly. And how does it shape your healing? Hmm. How do we find a place of self-acceptance in love within that container? And there's sometimes that the container is harmful in some ways. It's usually a mixed bag, but how do we identify that too and work with that? Mm -hmm. Right. So it's about identifying things that you can accept and things that you can change, right? Yeah. Are there other facets of things that you focus on or are those kind of the main things in terms of how you approach holistic psychiatry? Those are the main things, but I think within those, the possibilities are really limitless. Yoga philosophy suggests, you know, we all have so many different layers. And an interesting concept in yoga-based therapy is that the healing doesn't have to occur in the layer where the damage was. So you can have damage to your spirit that you work on through work with your body or your breath or your thoughts. But there's a lot of flexibility among everything. I think, for example, working with somebody just around what they ate would give a pretty significant window into their life. Or it could be just meditation or it could be just psychotherapy. Everything has a lot of symbolic meaning. It makes me wonder about, so your specialty training in consult liaison psychiatry. So maybe actually, can you just describe what that is and maybe how this all fits together in terms of your interest? psychiatry and how that kind of fits with that specialty that you have as well? Sure. So as a physician and psychiatrist, I've always had the desire for a lot of breadth. So when I was in medical school, I couldn't decide among many different specialties, including orthopedic surgery, you know, internal medicine, infectious disease, like psychiatry. I thought about doing combined training. Then I ultimately settled on psychiatry as a specialty. But I think the thread that was beneath is like, I want to understand everything. I want a holistic understanding of my patients, not like a tiny little section. So I ended up doing subspecialty training in consult liaison psychiatry, which has a very vague name, but it basically means that you specialize in collaborating with other physicians surrounding mental health issues in a patient. So say somebody has complex medical issues and is undergoing a surgery and is also struggling with depression and anxiety, either due to the medical condition or otherwise, you work as a team to really optimize the mental health. So the patient does well in their life overall. 
This field includes psycho-oncology, which is mental health treatment for folks dealing with malignancy, cancer, transplant psychiatry, which deals with issues surrounding people giving or receiving organs, really heady issues in life. So I was lucky to get very strong pharmacologic training in my fellowship which is very valuable to me, but working with a lot of people struggling with issues of life and death, I also saw what the limits of pharmacology were. And it was a push for me to develop other skills because when somebody is lying in a hospital bed and they have you know weeks or days to live, sometimes it means more just to sit in silence with loved ones than to take a pill to wake up or to sleep. So it, it was valuable, but it, it gave me a lot of drive to learn more. Yeah. And I could see how people who are coming to you because of issues of depression and anxiety, there's so much more to that story. There could be, I mean, a whole health history within themselves and their family. I mean, there, it's just so complex the issues that people bring in and just lives are complicated and that's yeah. just how it is. And disease really changes the idea of our personhood, who we are, how strong we feel sometimes, how we can move through the world if we can move through the world at all. Disease brings up a lot of spiritual questions and and medication alone does not answer that. Hmm. Well, I think this might be a good place to end. I was enlightened in terms of how you practice and your kind of approach to the whole person. I mean, it sounds amazing to me. And I really appreciate you sharing this and your time with us and the work that you do. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I will make sure on the episode description, there's a little bit more about you so people can read about that. And then if there's other resources we want to give people, we'll make sure we'll we'll add those as well. Wonderful. All right. Take care. Thank you. You too. This has been Mind Stories with remote appointments in California and offices in downtown LA, Santa Monica, Hermosa Beach, Marina del Rey, Echo Park, and Santa Barbara. Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.